suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. You've got your wish. You've never been born. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. I'm going home and see my wife and family. Mary! Kids, I need you, Mary. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. You weren't there to save Harry. You really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. I want to live again. At the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. One of my favorite seasons of the year is Christmas. In fact, it is a favorite for my entire family. We have fireworks at my parents' house on Christmas Eve. Christmas altogether is a big deal for us. Another part of Christmas that I really love are the movies. And there is no one more famous than It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. When Scott presented me with the option of taking one of the Christmas movies and sharing in the series, It's a Wonderful Life was my absolute first choice. If you haven't seen it, here's a quick synopsis. The main character is George Bailey, and George is searching for the wonderful life. He lived in a small town called Bedford Falls in New York. George had dreams, such really big dreams. Since he was a little boy, he dreamed of leaving his hometown traveling and exploring the world. Something just intrigued him about travel and exploration. Early in the movie, there's a scene when he's busy at work and he meets a young girl whose name is Mary. And even as a little girl, she is falling for George. But George was laser focused on travel and exploration. He's explaining to her how when he grows up, he's going to leave Bedford Falls and explore the world. He is even going to be a part of the National Geographic Society and travel the world living the wonderful life. As he grew up to be a man, that dream never left him. We fast forward to the middle of the movie and you'll see a scene where they've both graduated from high school and they are still getting ready to see the world. George explains to Mary his dream of travel and how he is absolutely going to make that dream happen. The reason I believe this movie has connected with so many people is because there is a little bit of George Bailey in all of us. We are all pursuing a wonderful life. There is a part of George Bailey living inside of you and living inside of me. It's the part of us who dreams big dreams and the part of us who prays big prayers.
There's something that is promising us the wonderful life. We don't know what that is. Sometimes we think about it in a way that almost seems magical or mystical, and that is going to show up and be the wonderful life for us. One thing that is the same for each of us is we are pursuing a wonderful life. For George, it was travel, exploration, the cultures of the world. But you and I have to determine what is that one thing that we believe will give us a wonderful life? What is the one thing that you are pursuing to achieve your wonderful life? Maybe a relationship, maybe a job, it may be your health, that there's something that you're thinking about, that one thing I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. I'm going to give my time, I'm going to give my energy, I'm going to give my money, but I'm going to focus on that one thing that will help me achieve my wonderful life. Now, you may or may think this is kind of like a churchy thing to say, but the truth is, is that only a relationship with the God who created you will give you a wonderful life. Now, I can feel some of you already rolling your eyes and saying, Lana, that sounds like a fortune cookie, but it is the truth. But here's the takeaway from today's message that I want. If you don't remember anything else I say, just as much as you want to live a wonderful life, God wants you to live a wonderful life. As I began to think and pray and prepare for this message today, one verse became very clear in my preparation. It's a verse that you've probably seen or heard before because it really is all over everywhere. And here is the verse from Jeremiah 29:11, and this translation is the Amplified Bible. Listen to this. For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful life? God is thinking good thoughts towards you. Life filled with hope. Thoughts of a future filled with peace. A future that does not cause suffering. Many people hold on to that scripture when they're discouraged. It is beautiful and it has been beautiful in my life. I have been encouraged so many times what I've read in my own Bible or when someone sends me a message or a text with those beautiful words. Discouragement is where we find George at the beginning of It's a Wonderful Life. There's a conversation happening in heaven. Now remember, this is fiction, but it could be happening. Clarence is the angel tasked with coming to earth to help George as his life is falling apart. Here's the conversation. Clarence says, is he sick? God says, no, it is worse. He is discouraged. So let that sink in. Is he sick? No, he's not sick. He's discouraged. The movie goes on to say, at exactly 1045 p.m. tonight, that man, George Bailey, is going to be thinking about throwing away God's greatest gift, the gift of life. Now, in 1947, when this movie was released, attention wasn't drawn to mental health and suicide awareness like it is today. However, my guess would be that the writers of this story understood something about mental health and the stigma, the struggle because of that one line, is he sick? No, it is worse. He is discouraged. Now, when we understand the real historical significance of Jeremiah 29:11, the heart verse that I'm sharing today, what was happening in the world at the time it was written, I believe it will take on even more importance in our lives. 
Sometimes we read the Bible. Maybe it's just me, but it might be you too. We read the Bible and we create our own meaning for verses based on what we're going through. We're looking for the why. We're searching for the reason for pain, the reason for disappointment, the reason for hurt. You fill in the blank. What do you need to search for an answer for what? But this has been my experience. Continually asking why, especially in my pain, it doesn't lead to answers. Many times, it only leads to more questions. Now, I'm not saying not to ask questions because we need to ask questions. It is a part of the process. Just don't get stuck in your questions as you seek why. Because when the answers don't come, just like it did for George Bailey, we become discouraged. The author of the verse, the book of Jeremiah, was, you got it, Jeremiah. He was a prophet, which in simple language for today, it meant his voice represented the voice of God to the world, most specifically the nation of Israel. Jeremiah spoke these words specifically to the Israelite people, the chosen people of God at a time when they were most discouraged. These people were living under the rule and domination of Egypt. You may have heard about Moses telling Pharaoh, let my people go. Yes, that's the same group of people, but this was quite a little bit later in their journey. Anyway, after they finally got carried out of Egypt, they were carted off from Jerusalem, which was their home, and left in Babylon. And Babylon was a foreign nation, and it was a new oppressive regime that they were to suffer under. Basically, they were living under the rule of the enemies of their God. It was a bad environment. Then they were forced to abandon their homes and create a brand new life in a foreign country. They didn't know the culture. They didn't know the language. Have you ever felt that way? That you were just left and abandoned in a foreign country where you didn't understand anything? All you could see were people who were against you. There was no one cheering for your success, but it also seemed that everyone was working against you. Now, I'm not talking about a victim mentality where all you say is, woe is me, and this is a bad life, and all of that kind of stuff. It's the reality of what's happening. These people were left. And Jeremiah was the prophet, the leader chosen by God to speak on his behalf. Now, in the Old Testament, being a prophet was a really important job. But this is the way I want to compare it for you. Think of a political administration. You have the president, and then you have the press secretary, who explains the work of the administration to the public. The prophet was like God's press secretary. That was Jeremiah. However, there was always somebody trying to one-up the prophet, to undermine the prophet's influence, to undermine the prophet's voice. The Bible called them false prophets, and they danced all over the nerves of the real prophets that God established. So back to Jeremiah. In the chapter before, Jeremiah had it out with one of those prophets. He listened to what he was saying, what he was telling the people of Israel, and basically said, if what you're saying is true, guy, God will show up and do what you've said. What I believe to be the truth, that false prophet, Hananiah was his name. He was so jealous of the influence that Jeremiah had. He wanted to steal the spotlight and the influence. So he developed his own prophecy that had just enough truth to not be questioned. But Hananiah was not God's appointed prophet. 
Hananiah was just a bold and confident liar. The thing that was so tricky about Hananiah was that his lie was a good lie. It was a lie that the people of God both wanted and needed to hear. Why? Because they were tired. They were discouraged. They had lost their home. At that particular moment, they would have believed anything that brought hope. And that's where you and I get ourselves in trouble, is that when we're tired and we're exhausted, someone walks into our lives and they bring a little bit of hope. And sometimes we fall for a lie. So here's what Hananiah did. He took advantage of their fatigue. He told them a lie to obtain their attention and their approval. So I'm sure you're thinking, okay, Leanna, what in the Sanhedrin did that say to those people? What did he do? Why is this so bad? Here it is. Hananiah told the people that God was going to help them escape from Babylon. They absolutely needed to escape. He went on. He told them that God was getting ready to free them. That's good news. They needed freedom. In fact, Hananiah said within the next two years, you guys are going to be free. You're going to be sleeping in your own homeland and you're going to be able to go home forever. And you might be saying to yourself, that doesn't sound so bad. But here's the thing. Nothing Hananiah said aligned with what Jeremiah or the prophets before him had said or how they had represented God. Not one of them said, God is going to return you to your homeland in two years. It sounded appealing, but there was no evidence to support what Hananiah was saying. Someone comes up to you with certainty and they say, this is what I believe, but it doesn't line up with anything you've seen or anything you've heard in the past. Please be wary of their words. It could just be a good lie. Here's what happened to Hananiah. God took him out. The Bible tells us that God, not Jeremiah, but God removed him from the earth. Listen to this from Jeremiah 28, verses 16 and 17. Hananiah, this is what God said. I've never sent you to speak for me. And yet you have talked my people into believing your lies and rebelling against me. So now I will send you. I will send you right off the face of the earth. You will die before this year is over. And verse 17 says, two months later, Hananiah died. Oh, yes, he did. Whenever someone uses God as a weapon to gain influence and attention, it may just be a good lie. God doesn't need false prophets. God is looking for faithful servants. Now listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying God is going to wipe you off the face of the earth if you lie like he did with Hananiah. There was so much more going on there. But listening to a lie or being the person to procreate a lie can cause you and the people you love so much pain. So let's go back and think about what God is actually telling the prophet Jeremiah and actually sharing with the people of Israel who he loves so much. This is what he said. Jeremiah tells them that they are going to live in that foreign nation, Babylon, a minimum of 70 years. Very different than two. God told them they needed to relax and make the best of their bad situation and be faithful. God told them to be faithful to him and to one another. He told them to get married. He told them to have a family. He told them to pray, even pray for the city to which they have been exiled. 
Now let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11, again in the context of all that you've just heard. God says to them, For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God spoke these words to people who were disappointed. They were wounded. They were confused. They were hoping for a quick rescue, like the one Hananiah lied about. But God didn't choose to provide quick rescue and escape from the pain. God promised them that his real plan was one of hope and peace in the middle of their current situation. It is a promise. It is a promise that the thoughts God is thinking about us in the middle of our pain, they are those of comfort and they are those of hope. Just like in our movie, It's a Wonderful Life, in the middle of hopelessness, disappointment, and failure, this becomes George's prayer. George prays this, Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I am at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. I've been there. Have you? So many of us have walked through the pain of this year of 2020. We've walked through what seems like never-ending disappointment. And many of us have even walked through death. You feel as if your pain is needless, without rhyme, without reason, and without hope. But you still show up. You still work hard. You're faithful. I know many of your stories, and I have absolutely no explanation as to why you've had to walk this difficult journey. Our country is walking through one of the darkest moments since our nation was founded, with hundreds of thousands of deaths as a result of the pandemic that is devastating the United States. My parents are 80 and 77 and both contracted COVID. My mama spent Thanksgiving in ICU, and my daddy was at home alone. It was the first time in my existence I'd not been home with them for Thanksgiving. They're home now. They're making progress. I'm so grateful. But for others, this upcoming Christmas will be very hard. Not just because of how we can't have our large parties, which we love, or shop without these wild masks, but because there will be a deep void. There will be an empty seat around your Christmas table. This week has been very hard for me. I said goodbye to one of my dearest and closest friends after an 18-month war with a recurrence of metastatic breast cancer. Her name was Marianne Braswell. She was a beautiful human. For those of you who attended Adore, she spoke at our very first conference in 2013. She came back in 2017 and slayed the day. I was so proud of her. Marianne and her daughter Blair, they went with us to Ecuador for four years, and then their last year, her husband Anthony and son Micah were able to be with us. It was something she had dreamed about and had talked about since her very first trip, that all four could experience the miracle of that incredible trip together. So many times, I cannot wait until Anthony and Micah come. I cannot wait till they come. In June of 2019, she began to experience debilitating headaches. The pain progressively worsened and she ended up in the ER with a tumor in her brain, cancer. The kind of cancer Marianne had was a common breast cancer. But if you made it five years without the recurrence of the chances you were cancer-free, 
were 97%. Mary Ann's cancer returned in the sixth year. She was in that rare 3%. So I say all of that to give you a window into her story. She had some really dark days in the last 18 months. She absolutely hated losing her hair. She didn't lose it just once, but she lost it twice through different chemo trials. Her natural hair was so thick and beautiful, and it was difficult to lose it. She hated not being full of energy to be with Anthony as they pastored a growing church in Raleigh, to visit Blair in college or attend every sporting event of her talented Micah. She had some moments where she felt really sorry for herself. And when it was the darkest, she held on to Jeremiah 29, 11. She knew God was in the middle of her pain and that he always used the phrase, she always used the phrase when she described it, God's got this. I think it wasn't so much to remind her that he was with her because every time I had experience with her, I felt she was so confident of that. But I think she said God's got this to remind all of us who were confused as to why such a champion of faith and faithfulness would suffer. She knew God would be faithful to his promise, just as he was faithful to the children of Israel. Mary Ann and her husband, Anthony, pastor a wonderful church in Raleigh, like I said, North Park. During the time of COVID, they began hosting weekly Bible studies. No matter how sick she was, if she could humanly be there, she was going to do it. I loved watching the weekly Bible studies because I couldn't be with her because of COVID. Her immune system was so compromised, she wouldn't even let me visit her. But on one of the Bible study nights in September, I remember marveling at her determination. She had not eaten in two days because radiation had irritated her esophagus. But she was there. She was sitting beside her husband. She was faithful. She was determined to be there. They were talking about recognizing God's voice as a whisper. And all of a sudden, she began singing a song called, He's Been Faithful. These are the lyrics she sang. In my moment of fear, through every pain, every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he's proved faithful to me. Every word he's promised is true. What I believed, what I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Even as her body was disintegrating because of cancer, she sang, he's been faithful to me. I'd love to be able to say, like, there's going to be thunder and mm. lightning, and then he's just going to open up the skies, and he's going to say, Marianne, this is my word for you today. Yeah. Like, I wish I could say that that's going to happen, but... Most it's likely it's going to be in the whisper, not the thunder. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I was, I was doing some devotion the other morning. It was really early in the morning, and I was just kind of hanging out. And I had, you know, kind of did the... I don't want to say her name real loud because she's listening to me right now. But I was like, Alexa, play some worship music. And you know one of the first songs that came on? What? In my moments of fear. Mm, he's been faithful. Through the pain and every tear. tear. Sing it. Still in love, he's proved faithful to me. Every word he's promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I see my God 
going to miss her every day of the rest of my life. Marianne embodied a wonderful life and the faithfulness of God. You may be sitting out there expecting your wonderful life to be thunderous applause of a heroic life, but what we really have to listen for is the whisper. We just have to listen. Your wonderful life is found in the smile of your spouse when you open your eyes. Your wonderful life is found in the laughter of a child who can't stop giggling at something funny they've seen on TV, laughing so hard they can't speak. Your wonderful life is found in the whisper of a friend reminding you of your dreams when they've long been quieted by disappointment. Your wonderful life is in the love of a God who keeps count of every tear you've ever cried. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind can conceive, those are the things God has prepared for those who love him. God wants good for you. The Bible says it is so good we cannot even conceive or comprehend how good it is. What if the wonderful life we're searching for is already here? It's not in the thunder, but it is in the whisper. My prayer for you today my prayer for me. God, don't let me miss the good, the good right in front of me while searching for something that was never meant for me in the first place. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this amazing movie. I thank you for the fact you have used a tool like a Christmas movie to remind us of your faithfulness. I thank you for the example of calling out to you when we are most discouraged. I thank you for every person who is watching today. I pray in the middle of their pain, they will recognize that rarely do you come in thunder, but so many times you come in the whisper of what is already in front of us. I pray for every person who has an empty table up their seat, a seat around their table of emptiness this Christmas, that you will wrap your arms around them. We love you and we thank you for your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. We love you. Thanks for watching this video. While you're here, make sure you subscribe and turn the bell on so you don't miss any other videos or content Forest Park releases. Make sure you share this with a friend. Take a few moments and check out some other things Forest Park has.